The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. We just had a malfunction with the computer, and that happens. But welcome. And the message is, cast me not away, O God, from your presence. I want to try to talk about something for a minute. I've struggled with this from the time I was a little boy. I would go to church. We were always in church. And I would listen as well as I could to what the preacher was saying. But it never made any sense to me. I couldn't understand what he was saying. The words that he put together didn't match anything in my life. I was raised in a Christian home. It wasn't just one preacher. It was preacher after preacher. I think the first sermon I ever really listened to carefully was by a man by the name of William Loveless, who was the pastor of a large church in Tacoma Park, Maryland. I listened carefully to his sermon because his words were familiar to me. The way he was speaking, I could understand, I could get a hold of. I've I've always been exhausted by all of the Western academic approach to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not surprising to me that in the New Testament, um, Jesus tells stories. Why? Well, the priests didn't tell stories. They spoke in their academic understanding but it didn't touch the people. John the Baptist came and he didn't speak in academia. And I'm not anti-intellectual. Please understand what I'm saying. Then in my own life, because I was raised up in academia, I have the graduate degree. I've done the undergraduate. I've, But in all of that, I've struggled to make sense out of what's being said. Why? Well, because there seems to be a disconnect between what people say and teach and what they do. I'm much more interested in in what you do, how you live. It's time for the church in America. It's time for you and for me to move completely beyond and step into holiness, that place that is utterly set apart, where we belong to Jesus, where he is everything to us. Now, scholars used to think that the Jewish people were 
rather dumb because they didn't speak in academic abstractions. Instead, they spoke very concretely. In the Hebrew, you don't look over there. You lift your eyes up as though you took your eyeballs and your hands and you moved them. It's very concrete. It's very real to life. I like that. I want something that's real. And I've been struggling with the broadcast because I've been seeing increasing numbers of people not tune in and not listen. I know why. Because I'm not speaking about the sensational. I'm not speaking about end-day prophecies and the mark of the beast. Why? Well, because much of that is just speculation. I'm not interested in speculation. I'm interested in the concrete, honest, day-by-day walk with Jesus that transforms a man or a woman and sets them free to be loving, compassionate missionaries, ambassadors for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to share with you a story out of the Old Testament. It's a story that's very troublesome to me because it represents so much of what I see in the American church. His name was Jehu, J-E-H-U. Jehu was the commander of Israel's army or a commander in Israel's army. The king and the army had been fighting with the Arameans and the king had been wounded. He's gone to Jezreel where he is recovering. Elisha summons a man from the company of the prophets and he said to him, Take this flask of oil and go to Ramoth Gilead. When you get there, look for Jehu. Take him away from his companions. Take the flask and pour the oil on his head. And say to him, I anoint you king over Israel. Then quickly open the door and leave. Run. Why? Because Elisha knew what was going to happen, and he did not want this young prophet caught in the mayhem that was suddenly going to take place in Israel. He didn't want this young man to be blamed or associated with it. So the young man did exactly what Elisha, the prophet, had commanded him to do. If you remember, sometime before this, before Elijah had been taken up into the heavens, when he went to the Mount of God, one of the assignments that God had given him was to appoint Elisha as his successor. And then he was also to anoint 
Jehu, or to anoint uh, uh, Jehu king over Israel. Well, the timing wasn't right, and Elijah did not do that before he was taken up in the chariot. So this is leftover business. This is judgment on the house of Ahab. Remember, because of Jezebel's and Ahab's utter wickedness, and the final straw that broke the camel's back was what happened with Naboth's vineyard when Jezebel had him murdered and gave that vineyard to Ahab as his vegetable garden. So, as Jehu then comes out of the house, he had to clean up, I'm sure, from the oil that had been poured over his head. As he comes out of the house, the other officers who were with him said, what do he say to you? And Jehu blew it off. He said, oh, no, it's okay. It's okay. He'd just been ordered by this prophet to go destroy the house of Ahab, to kill every man, boy, woman, child of the house of Ahab, to destroy them, the whole house. Because the Lord had prophesied this and said he would do it as a judgment, and Ahab had repented temporarily and then went right back into his wickedness. Now, this was not the first time God had utterly destroyed a king and his family. He did the same thing with Joram, and he did the same thing with King Basha. As for Jezebel, the Lord said, dogs will devour her on the plot of ground at Jezreel, and no one will bury her. And the young man fled. Now, Jehu speaks to the other officers who were there. Here's what he told me. This is what the Lord says. I anoint you king over Israel. Well, immediately that caused a firestorm. They jumped to their feet. They took their cloaks. They spread them out on the bare steps of that building. They blew the trumpet and they began to shout, Jehu is king. Jehu is king. It was a full-blown rebellion. It was instantaneous. It was like a match touched to gasoline. So, he said, if this is how you feel, make sure that nobody leaves Ramoth Gilead and warns them in Jezreel. And so they began to guard the town, the officers who were there with their men. He got in his chariot and he rode to Jezreel where Joram was resting recovering from the wound he'd received in the war. Well, the lookout was watching, and he said, I see some troops coming. Well, get a horseman, Joram ordered, send him out to meet them, and ask, do you come in peace? Well, the horseman rode out, and 
Jehu said, What do we have to do with peace? Fall in line behind me. So he did. They sent out a second horseman. And when he came to Jehu, Do you come in peace? What do you have to do with peace? Fall in behind me. So they reported to the king that this man had also fallen in behind. So the king ordered his chariot hitched up. He was told that this man was driving like a madman, Jehu. So King Joram of Israel and Ahaziah, king of Judah, the king of Judah was friends with this spawn of Ahab, was consorting with him. So each in his own chariot rode out to meet Jehu. They met him at the plot of ground that had belonged to Naboth the Jezreelite. And immediately Joram shouted, Have you come in peace, Jehu? The answering shout was, How can there be peace as long as the idolatry and witchcraft of your mother Jezebel abound? Well, Joram knew then he was in trouble, and he wheeled his chariot about. He called to Ahaziah, and he said, Treachery, treachery, treachery. Well, as he rode swiftly away, Jehu drew, drew his bow, and he shot Joram between the shoulders. The arrow pierced his heart, and he slumped down dead in the chariot. And Jehu ordered, pick up his body and throw it in the field that belonged to Jehu or to Naboth. Remember how we heard that he was to be cast out? The Lord cursed him. Now, part of what I want you to hear It's not easy to hear. Our actions have a very profound impact on our lives because when God sees the actions we take, he makes decisions about us. Now, it's frightening to realize that you are not in your own privacy. God looks at who we are and what we do what we think, what we feel. And then he makes executive decisions about our life. And the executive decision that God had made about this king was that he would be cast, he would be killed and cast out, his body would be cast out for the wild animals to eat. Well, when Ahaziah, king of Judah, saw what was happening, he quickly fled toward home. But Jehu chased him, shouting, Kill him too! They wounded him in his chariot, but he escaped to Megiddo, and there he died from the wound of that arrow. Jehu went to Jezreel, 
when Jezebel heard about it, she put on her makeup, she did her face, she did her hair, and then she came as the chariot came clattering into the courtyard. She looked out and she said, Have you come in peace, Zumrah, you murderer of your master? Jehu stopped his chariot, he looked up, and he called out, Who is on my side? Who is on my side? Well, two or three eunuchs looked down at him, and he said to them, Throw her down, toss her out the window. So they threw her out the window. And he charged his horses at her, and literally trampled her to death. Now he went into the royal residence. He ate and he drank. And then he said, take care of that cursed woman. He said, go bury her, for she was a king's daughter. But when they went out to bury her, only her skull at her feet and her hands were left. The dogs had devoured her. They went back and told Jehu, and he said, This is the word of the Lord that he spoke through his servant Elijah the Tishbite. On the plot of ground at Jezreel, dogs will devour Jezebel's flesh. Jezebel's body will be like refuse on the ground in the plot to Jezreel, so that no one will be able to say, This is Jezebel. Now, this is really raw stuff. Some of you feel very secure. But I want to tell you, the security of America is not going to last. God has been listening and God has been watching what's happening in America. He sees the racial strife that is exploding in our nation. He sees the wickedness of the woke philosophy. He sees the wickedness of the child trafficking and child murder in the the womb of the mother and the abortions. He sees the, the way America has killed so many people with wars of aggression. There was a time when America was viewed, rightly so, as the champion of men's rights, of freedom. That's no longer true in many parts of the world because we invaded lands with no justifiable reason that were no threat to us. And we murdered countless numbers of people. God has been watching America. And he has seen as the churches have utterly compromised with the darkness, with the perversion. He's been watching and listening as he has seen the pastors go for money and success and prestige and power and have failed to preach an honest word of holiness, of righteousness. He's been watching. Now, I want to finish this story 
and then draw it into a meaningful position for you that I think will help you as it's helped me. In Samaria, there were 70 sons of the house of Ahab. So Jehu wrote letters and sent them to Samaria, to the officials of Jezreel, to the elders and to the guardians of Ahab's children. He said, as soon as this letter reaches you, since your master's sons are with you and you have chariots and horses, a fortified city and weapons, choose the best and most worthy of your master's sons and set them on their father's horses and your father's throne. Then fight for your master's house. But these men were terrified. They said two kings could not resist him. We can't resist him. So the palace administrator, the city governor, the elders, and the guardians sent this message to to Jehu. We are your servants. We'll do anything you tell us to do. We will not appoint anyone as king. You do what you think is best. So Jehu wrote to them and he said, Okay, if you're on my side, I want you to behead these 70 sons and daughters of Ahab, the royal princes, the the boys, not the girls, the boys, I'm sorry, 70 of them. This is in Second Kings, the 10th chapter. So these 70 boys were all beheaded and the heads were sent to Jehu. Now the next morning, Jehu went out to the people He stood before them and he said, You're innocent. I was the one who conspired against my master and I killed him. But who killed all of these children? Know then, not a word that the Lord has spoken against the house of Ahab will fail. The Lord has done what he promised through his servant Elijah. Now, I don't want you to miss this. I want you to see that Jehu knows there is a God in heaven. Jehu knows that Elijah was the prophet of God and that Elisha is the prophet of God. He understands that the word of God comes true. He understands that there is accountability before Almighty God. He understands that. So, Jehonadab comes and joins together with Jehu. And Jehu says to him, Come with me and see my zeal for the house, for the house of the Lord. Come and see how serious I am about doing what God has asked me to do. So Jehu goes to Samaria. He kills all of those who are left at the house of Ahab. He kills all of Ahab's family. According to the word of the Lord spoken to Elijah. And then Jehu brings all of the people together and he says to them, Now Ahab served Baal a little. Jehu will serve him much. 
Now summon all the prophets of Baal, all his ministers and all of his priests, and see that no one is missing because I'm going to hold a great sacrifice to Baal. Anyone who fails to come will no longer live. But Jehu was acting deceptively in order to destroy the ministers of Baal. Jehu said, Call an assembly in honor of Baal. So it was proclaimed. Then he sent word throughout Israel, and all the ministers of Baal came. Not one stayed away. They crowded into the temple of Baal until it was full from one end to the other. Jehu then ordered the keeper of the wardrobe, bring robes for the ministers of Baal. So he brought out all of the robes for them. Then Jehu and Jehanadab, son of Rechab, Rechab, went to the temple of Baal. Jehu said to the ministers of Baal, Look around and see that no servants of the Lord are here with you, only ministers of Baal. So they went in, and they had the ceremony, and they made the sacrifices. Then Jehu ordered his guards and his officers, Go in and kill them. Let not one escape. So they cut them all down with the sword. The guards and officers threw the bodies out and then entered into the inner shrine of the temple of Baal. They brought the sacred stone out of the temple and they burned it. They demolished the sacred stone of Baal and tore down the temple of Baal. And the people have used it for a latrine to this day. So Jehu destroyed Baal worship in Israel. Now, to this point, he has done exactly what God has asked him to do. He has acted, and he has brought down the whole royal family of Ahab. He has utterly destroyed it. There are no descendants left. But now, let me read the rest of the story. However, he did not turn away from the sins of Joram, Joraboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit the worship of the golden calves at Bethel and Dan. The Lord had said to Jehu, Because you've done well in accomplishing what is right in my eyes and have done to the house of Ahab all I had in mind to do, your descendants will sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. Yet, Jehu was not careful to keep the law of the Lord, the God of Israel, with all of his heart. He did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam which he had caused Israel to commit. What had Jehu done? Well, Jehu had done all that the Lord commanded him, but he did not go beyond that and walk in holiness before God. He understood who God was. He knew 
that God ruled over heaven and earth? He knew that Elijah and Elisha were true prophets of God? Well, why would he not go all the way? Why did he not turn away from the sins of of Jeroboam? Why did he not tear down the golden calves at Bethel and Dan? Well, do you remember why they were established? The two golden calves, as Israel had Aaron established in the desert, these golden calves represented prosperity. It was a it was a culture of farming, of husbandry. It was an agrarian society. And so these two golden calves represented for Israel a place of of prosperity and convenience. So Jehu has now gone as far as he thinks he dares go. He has destroyed the house of Ahab. He has destroyed the heavy taxation of Ahab. And Jezebel is now gone as well. And now he has destroyed the temple of Baal and the worship there of Baal. But he does not want to finish the work and turn Israel back to the God of heaven. These two locations had been chosen by Jeroboam because they were convenient for the people of Israel. He did not want them to return to Jerusalem to the temple of the true God of heaven because he was fearful that if they went back to Jerusalem, they would come against him and there would be a a reuniting of Israel and Judah. Obviously, Jehu was afraid of that same thing. He was afraid of the people. He was afraid that he had gone as far as he could go and that it would not be wise to go all the way with God. So he only went part way. But it's interesting, he only went the part that gave him a new position as king, gave him a position of power and authority in the nation, gave him a a place of supremacy and recognition among the nations. Jehu was well-known. He was a warrior. He'd led the armies of Israel. But now he was king. He did not want to jeopardize his place, his position, his power. Because... Frankly, they could throw him out. Someone could come and kill him and his family, like he had done to Ahab. 
So we find Jehu saying, look, I'm going to play it safe. I'm not going to speak out against the golden altars, the golden calves. I'm not going to speak out against them. And he did not. And Israel continued going to these two calves in Bethel and Dan. And God was angry. God had richly blessed Jehu, had given him tremendous victory, but Jehu would not go all the way. I want to ask you, please, how far are you willing to go with God? You have to admit Jehu was very bold and he did some some mighty deeds of valor. <clears throat> you have to admit that <clears throat> pardon me. You have to admit that Jehu laid his life down in the war and was successful. But he would not go all the way. So we have churches today that that have spent a great deal of time and money and energy building their facilities at great risk, great sacrifice by the people. But the pastor doesn't want to tell the people the real gospel of holiness, the real gospel of the blood of Jesus being able to remove your sin now. No, they don't want to talk about that because they know that if they deal with that issue, many are going to walk away because they are only spray-painted as Christians, but they're not real Christians in their heart. See, Jehu, he looked good on paper. Successful general, now successful in overthrowing a wicked king and his wife and the wicked king's mother, Jezebel, took out all the family members, established his throne and his kingdom. He's now ruling in power and authority. He's destroyed Baal's temple. Ah, but now, don't ask me to go all the way. I can't do it. It would jeopardize my position as king. Breaks my heart. Because I too have been Jehu. Driving my chariot, speeding, working, building my kingdom. Long time ago, I laid all of that down. I laid it down. Because I'm not interested in an intellectualized gospel that has no power. 
I'm not interested in a form of godliness. Jehu had a form of godliness. But he would not go all the way. What would it mean for you to go all the way? What is God asking you to give up, to remove from your life? He's been speaking to you, I know that. He speaks to all of us. I've made a determination that I don't want anything to stand between me and Jesus. I don't want anything to stand between me and Jesus. I want Jesus. I want the person and the work of Jesus in my life. We can speak about all of the intellectual understandings and principles, and there is some value. We can speak about the doctrine, and doctrine is very important. I don't belittle in any way doctrine. But if that doctrine is not walked out in the daily life, it's rather useless. It's without profit. Colossians 1 verse 13, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness or the removal, it's aphemy. We have redemption through his blood, and we have the removal of sin. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he may have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus is atonement. Jesus did not do atonement. He is the atonement. He is the atonement sacrifice. Now, we have to face honestly the question, Will we take up our cross and follow Jesus? What do I mean? Will we give up all that is of darkness and wickedness? 
Will we give up the lust of the flesh for this world? The the fornication, the uncleanness. Will we turn aside from lying and cheating? Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. If you're acting in evil ways, you are alienated from God because of your evil behavior. Verse 22, this is Colossians 1, verse 22. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, have become a servant. What's he talking about? He's saying that when Jesus died on Calvary, he made it possible for you to live in such a way that you would be without blemish, free from accusation, because you no longer walk in sin. Now, I simply will recount for you my own personal experience. When I have in the past, and I have, just been unconscious and just not thought about it and just let myself be who I am and go back directly into sin. That's caused me a great deal of grief because today I know the reality that Jesus is Lord. The scriptures say, it will be impossible for you to continue walking in sin because the seed of God remains in you. Does the seed of God reside in you? It requires a getting down before our Lord, before our God, humbling our heart, and making a decision that we will that we will leave all sin, all rebellion, all cursing, all lying, all cheating, all stealing, all bitterness and anger, all wrath, vengeance. It astonishes me how some people who call themselves Christians will continue to steal, will continue to act in ways that are utterly wicked before God. It astonishes me how our human spirit will rise up in utter wickedness against our Lord. We serve a God who is 
full of compassion, mercy, kindness. But because of how we've dealt with life, how life has dealt with us, we can become very cynical, angry, bitter. We can become very proud and arrogant. This morning in the early hours as I was praying, I began to review much of my life. And I have to tell you, I was very ashamed. I was ashamed by what the Holy Spirit began to show me, that even in those times when I thought I was walking clean before God, there was a residue, there was a, there was a piece of arrogance, of pride that was still in my heart that made me very unconscious of my behavior, that made me very unconscious, just walking on through life as though I was entitled and I deserved this mercy and this kindness from God. You know what? I don't deserve any mercy or kindness or grace from Almighty God. And I can no longer walk unconscious saying, I'll do this and I'll do that. I can't do it anymore. I'm going to wait on God. I'm not going to plow out to create my own world and my own success and my own ministry. I'm not going to plow out and try to create revival. I'm waiting on God. Now, you see me at a time when we have a small footprint in Washington. We have a small YouTube channel. By the way, I'd love to have you subscribe to it if you haven't, if the Holy Spirit's calling you. That helps Google know that people are listening and spreads us further. I just have nothing that I can claim that would make me somebody. I'm nobody. I'm just one of the servants of Almighty God. I serve the Lord Jesus. I'm stunned by how quickly I can settle in and feel like, whoa, okay, I can do that. I can do this. No, I will do what the Lord tells me to do, what he leads me to do, what the scriptures say to do. That is what I'll do. Don't jump from one job to another. Don't don't look for the next great opportunity so you can grab it. Ask the Lord what he wants. You're in the job you're in so that you can witness and serve and bring about the kingdom of God, that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's not some mystical doing. He's doing that through his human agencies. He's bringing about his glory on the earth by means of his people. So it's time to move beyond 
and move into holiness where we stop being offended, stop making demands, stop feeling entitled, stop walking through the world as though we owned it and it owes us and we're God's gift to the world. No, it's time to let go of all that. It's foolishness. It's the Lord who brings us prosperity. It's the Lord who brings success. Every plant not planted by the Father at the end judgment, Jesus said, would be uprooted and thrown into the fire. I don't want my work to be uprooted and thrown in the fire. I want it to bear fruit for eternity. I want you in heaven. And if listening to this broadcast helps you on that journey, then I have been able to fulfill what God called me to do in establishing his kingdom upon this earth. Well, you've been listening to Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And thank you for your financial support. It means everything. This broadcast is a faith venture. Gloria, thank you. Mike, thank you. Dirk, thank you. On and on, I could name the names. The latest one, Lynn, thank you. And I received in the mail all of your brochures. Thank you. Well, go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give online. Please remember to subscribe to the channel if you're on YouTube. And you can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Now, I'm leaving tomorrow morning for a week of rest, of prayer, of fasting, hidden away. There will be broadcasts on both YouTube and on uh, the radio. I pray that those broadcasts will lift you up. Brother Ed has chosen them. And I'm going to be spending much time praying for you and for this ministry. Would you pray for me a safe trip? And God bless you, brother and sister. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you soon. Present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great joy. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory.